Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Is it even legal for you to get a pilot's license with such low vision? Legally, no. So I've told my mom that she needs to get her pilot's license so I can be her little co-pilot. Well, there's a solution to every problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And believe it or not, legal or not, we'll be talking with a person who is blind who piloted their own plane. As we all know, blind people are capable of doing almost anything they want these days. But would you expect a blind person to be piloting an airplane? We'll talk with Kaya Armstrong, a blind college student who learned to fly a plane and then flew herself cross-country with a sighted co-pilot, thanks to a program sponsored by the Foundation for Blind Children. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Kaya Armstrong. I've had a lot of people behind me and just the knowledge that they're always there and that they're always going to be there to cheer me on. And if I need a shoulder, that I don't have to be afraid of where I'm going because I have people behind me. That was beautiful. That's perfect. And And I hope you play that for your parents, who I assume are a big part of your support system. Oh, definitely. They've... They've been my rock through all of this. Yeah, it definitely helps having supportive family that'll encourage you to do those things. I mean, I give my parents so much credit for, you know, how things worked out for me in in life. And the other thing is, it's so true for everybody, sighted or not. Really, no man is an island. We all do what we do with support and help and other people in our community around us. So, Never be afraid to ask for help or lean on other people. Things can work out a lot better that way, as we'll see in a bit. That is so true. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Kaya. Hi, my name is Kaya Armstrong. I lost my, started losing my vision when I was 14 years old. And at the time, my family and I were promised and guaranteed by all of my doctors that eventually I would get it back if I did the medications and followed along with the plans that they set and just kept checking in and making sure everything was okay. And then at 19, right after I graduated high school, we realized that things weren't getting better. It was just progressively getting worse to the point where I was tripping over a giant paper shredder in broad daylight in the middle of our house. And that was a couple weeks after we found out about the Foundation for Blind Children. And my dad was finally like, okay, we're making you an appointment. Something is wrong. And we were able to get in about a month later. And 
we found out that I had lost nearly all of my peripheral and a good portion of my direct vision. So I can see maybe a couple inches in front of my face now. And that's about it. To this day, we still don't have a definite answer to why I lost my vision. Mm -hmm. The Foundation for Blind Children that you've referred to, they handle adults as well as kids. Yes, they handle all ages. Yeah, it's it's kind of a misnomer, but I assume it's historical. Yes, it is. They're amazing. Considering the limited state of your vision, what types of assistive devices do you use in terms of your computer work or navigation? I have a laptop that has JAWS and Fusion. So for certain things, I do use Fusion and Zoom in really close. But more often than not, I use my screen readers because that's the only way I can accurately understand what's being requested of me in my assignments. And I recently bought an iPad and I've been using the screen reader a lot on that. And that's helped a lot because I'm taking a pre-calculus class. And with limited vision, <laughs> that is probably one of my most stressful classes. But I have access to tutors and my professor himself. He's been amazing. But that's good to have supportive people around you. How about in terms of mobility and getting around? Do you use a cane or any other devices? Yes, I have my cane. I never go anywhere without my cane. I gather you're a college student now? I am. I just started my first semester. Oh, in how exciting. September. And what are you studying? Right now, my community college is covering the basics. But my goal is to major in criminology and criminal justice and eventually go to law school. Oh, what a lot of fun. That sounds like a very interesting career path. Yes. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Kaya Armstrong's training to fly a plane and her subsequent cross-country flight. Before we get into our interview with Kaya, we just want to tell you a little bit about this program. She did mention earlier in the tip that she had a lot of people standing behind her. And this Flight for Sight Challenge is the latest challenge event sponsored by Foundation for Blind Children in Phoenix, Arizona, whose mission is to provide education, tools, and services that enable all persons with vision loss to achieve greater independence. As they say on their website, the Foundation for Blind Children, which, by the way, serves children and adults, believes in challenging people with vision loss to achieve feats they and the world thought were impossible. Challenge events accomplish this by giving students the opportunity of a lifetime. Previous events have included swimming to Alcatraz, hiking Mount Kilimanjaro, sailing in the Caribbean, hiking the Grand Canyon, rafting the Colorado River, and this event, flying across the United States. Each event requires demanding training for months to prepare. The effort is worth it when participants commit to push their limits and change their lives forever. Well, Kaya, we talked about how you get around with a cane because of your limited vision, but it mm -hmm. turns out that, surprisingly, you also pilot airplanes. 
How did you get into piloting airplanes? Honestly, it was a shock to myself as well. (laughs) One of my instructors at the Foundation for Blind Children told me that she might have something that I would be interested in. And she told me that they were going to be hosting an event called Flight for Sight, where they were going to pick a person with limited vision or no vision to pilot a plane from here in Arizona to Washington, D.C. And literally the week before she told me about it, I was talking with my mom about things I never believed I'd be able to do, some of which were drive a car and fly a plane. So finding out about this news, this huge event, I went home and I told my mom, this is something I have to do because it's proving not just to the world, but to myself as well, that I need to stop limiting myself. Wow, that sounds like quite an adventure. So this sounds like it's more or less of a demonstration program to show the capabilities of people with vision issues and that they can really do anything they want if they put their mind to it. Is that right? Yes. And you were the lucky person chosen for the program. I was. I was so thankful and grateful that I had the opportunity to complete this journey. I take it it didn't take much convincing. (laughs) It really didn't. There were so many wonderful people that applied. And just being able to have this position has been such an honor. Did you have any trepidation at all about flying a plane without being able to see where you're going or the instrument panel? (laughs) None at all. I was was full-blown excited. It's like, I can do this. Well, that's pretty cool. Tell us about the training program. I understand even if you have normal vision, learning to fly a plane is not something you do in an afternoon. Yeah. What was the training program like? Well, right after I was informed that I had gotten the spot, they got me the pilot's book in PDF version so my screen reader could read it to me. And the Foundation for Blind Children embossed the entire pilot's book. So I had it in Braille as well. So I had different modes of swapping between the two, just to make sure I understood the material. And on top of that, they brought in a certified flight instructor who would sit down and make sure I understood what was being read to me and what was the most important parts I needed to take away from the text, along with one of FBC's employees who also had his private pilot license. So the first part of this training was a lot of book learning and classroom learning, it sounds like. It really was. I spent two to three days every week, just one-on-one with my instructors. And that doesn't include all of the hours I spent at home, just reading and rereading, making sure I understood what was going on. So you got all the book learning, you learned the theory, you learned what each of the gauges was for, but then you must've had to do some hands-on training. Actually, did you start in a simulator or you started in a real airplane? I started in a real airplane with my co-pilot who completed the journey with me. His name was Tyler Sinclair. And I remember the first day, you know, we met, he took me right out to the airplane and he had me get an actual pilot spot, even though he knew I'd never (laughs) been in the pilot's position, position. All I'd ever done thus far was read about it. And so, you know, he sort of just tossed me in the deep end and it was honestly amazing. He was there step-by-step through the entire taxi and takeoff, making sure that I was confident in my own abilities and that we were safe going up and we had a safe landing. 
That's pretty incredible that your first time in an airplane, they threw you in the pilot seat. I'm amazed. Oh, I was shocked. (laughs) (laughs) So how does all this work? I take it you have the controls, but you can't see any of the displays on the console. So what we ended up doing, most pilots in training have access to a poster of the inside of the cockpit. So they can go home and put it up on a wall and look at it and memorize where everything's at. But for me, I can't visually see the poster. So I had an instructor from the Foundation for Blind Children sit down with me for a couple afternoons, and we brailled the entire poster. So I could set it on the table or put it up on a wall and just feel around. And I spent hours just memorizing where everything, all of the buttons and the levers and the switches would be. Wow. When we bought our last house, I did essentially the same thing for Pete with the floor plan of the house. <laughs> but the stakes weren't as high. We weren't going up to, what, twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 feet. <laughs> I think we only ever got up to about eleven or 12,000. But I mean, that's still honestly higher than I ever thought I'd be off the ground. <laughs> I'll bet. So you essentially memorized the locations of all the buttons and levers in the airplane. You didn't braille up the console. You just remembered it, right? Yes. But then once you got into the plane, you couldn't tell what any of the meters and levers and or anything was saying on the display. Did your instructor have to tell you what it said, or did you have some other way of reading it out? Right now, at this point in time, they don't have the technology capable of making it with like a screen reader. So mm-hmm. that's why I had Tyler, my co-pilot. I called him my eyes in the sky or my sighted guide in the sky because he would read off everything that was virtual on the panel that I couldn't feel and I couldn't read. And so he was there and he would let me know, okay, you're going too low. And so I would have to pull it back and he would tell me when I was approaching altitude and he would just let me know if I got a couple degrees off, he'd let me know if I needed to go left or right just a little bit. He was just there to monitor everything. And then you just push the right button or pull the right lever and straighten things out. Mm -hmm. Yes. So how long did it take you before you felt really comfortable with that interaction and flying an airplane? We went up to practice every other week for about eight months. And I believe it was about halfway through that. Once I'd had access to the poster of the cockpit and I was able to memorize where everything was, and I'd gotten down learning how to turn the plane because we, me and Tyler had to work together to figure out a timing system so I could turn the plane without having to see the compass. And once I'd gotten all the little minor technicalities down where I could turn the plane and knew where everything was, that was when I really started getting comfortable with being up in the air. I had the understanding that When you're a pilot, a lot of it relies on visual feedback because you can't really trust the motion of the plane, you know, because of centripetal forces and things like that. Mm -hmm. How does that work out? You just rely on Tyler again? So for the most part, you really can feel. The only part you really can't trust is if you've been in a turn for too long. That's when the fluid in your ears sort of levels out. So even if you're on your side, you feel like you're going straight. So that's where I would rely on Tyler because 
we had to work out a way that he could tell me a short little thing so he wouldn't have to having to sit and explain in little detail every single time. So he would tell me, you know, going too far left. So I know I'd have to turn right mm-hmm. or he'd say too far right. And I would have to go left. And we just worked on what I could see and what that could do for me when I'm up in the plane. So if I can look out the window, I have enough color differentiation where I can tell that the sky is a brighter color than the mountains we were facing. So we worked. And if I would keep the mountains level, that's how I would keep the plane level on my own. But if we got to a spot where I couldn't differentiate between the colors of the mountain and the sky, that's when I would rely on Tyler most. Got it. So even a little bit of vision would be helpful in that situation. Yes. I would think one of the more critical aspects of flying a plane is landing and getting close to the runway, making sure you hit it at the right angle, at the right time, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Is that true? In the beginning, it was. In the beginning, he did the landing. Honestly, I I wasn't terrified of landing. I just wasn't confident in my ability to land safely. And, you know, that's the whole point of this trip is to get there safely. So um, it was about halfway through our training. He started having me do little bits of the landing. He'd have me get down closer and closer every time we were training until the point where he would tell me he would walk me through slowing down because I can't see the gauge of our speed. So he'd get me to the right speed and he would tell me what way I needed to turn to line up with the runway. and. Then he left the landing to me. Wow. I understand that everybody who's studying to be a pilot learns to take off and land last. You know, the instructor gets them up, the student up in the air, and mm-hmm. student gets comfortable with the flying bit before learning to take off and land. So I don't think that was a special accommodation they needed to make for you. Yeah, we just needed to learn how to, the best way to communicate with each other. Right. It sounds like there was a huge amount of two-way trust between you and the instructor. There really was a lot. Which is one thing, you know, if we're walking down the street and I'm guiding Pete, he trusts me not to drop him off a curb. But you guys were in an airplane. (laughs) A lot of trust. Mm -hmm. Well, you're a young college student, and at that age, everybody's invincible. I was wondering if Tyler had any trepidations about this situation. He never shared anything like that with me. I know I was excited from the beginning. And I know when when I was told that the Foundation for Blind Children had approached him about this opportunity, he seemed just as excited as I was. Because we knew that all of us that were going into this event knew that there was going to be so many weeks and months worth of hard work from everybody to pull this off. And you know, he had so much patience. You know, he really did know everything that we needed to complete this flight. And I think the hardest part was just learning the communication style of each other and communicating successfully. Yeah, I think that works in any situation like that. So I'm totally blind, as Nancy kind of hinted at. And, (laughs) you know, when I pick up new running partners and you had to get used to it. And it was a matter of communicating and learning what communication worked best. So you have many hours of flying under your belt now, don't you? I do, yes. How many hours of flying under your belt do you have? After our big trip, I believe 
in my book, I'm approaching 30 or 40 hours, I believe. And your big trip was? When we flew from Arizona to Washington, D.C. Wow. And that was in a small two-seater plane. So that was a lot of takeoff and landing and takeoff and landing. And you were doing this to publicize awareness of the capabilities of people with vision loss. Can you talk about that trip? Yes, it was honestly, even to the point where I was the day of takeoff at the beginning of the trip, it still felt like a dream because, you know, so many people and so many hours of work went into this for it to finally be here. I know when I got to the airport that morning for takeoff, they had so many people and students and family members from the Foundation for Blind Children there to cheer me on for takeoff. And that was such an amazing experience just to know that just all these people are there cheering me on. And the very first day we were supposed to land in Colorado Springs, but due to weather, we ended up being stuck in Las Vegas, New Mexico for the night. Oh, geez. (laughs) Smaller airport. It really was. But thankfully, we got there right as, you know, the last taxi was going to be taking people to the hotel. And we were able to get two rooms for the night. And it was, it was an experience, that's for sure. (laughs) But it was a wonderful experience, because it just goes to show that you can have weeks and months to prepare for a trip. But you can't plan for weather because you can't predict it exactly. Because the weather it showed that it was going to be okay, that we were going to be able to fly through. But when we got there, we couldn't fly through it. Mm-hmm. And so the next day, we were up first thing in the morning. And we waited four hours at the airport just trying to find a way out. Because the clouds were so low, we couldn't fly out. And so for that little part of the journey, Tyler had to take over and fly by instrument. And then he had to put it on autopilot because for safety reasons... At those temperatures, if you fly through the clouds like that, you take the chance of freezing the wings of the plane, which could lead to a crash. So for safety reasons, he took over for takeoff there. Were there any instances where you thought you were in trouble, you were scared, or something went horribly wrong? No, there was nothing like that besides having to postpone things due to weather. There were no big disasters. There were no scares at all. Mm -hmm. Where all did you stop on the way? The second night we landed in, it was Kansas City, Missouri. I'm sorry, for the longest time, I thought we were going to Kansas. (laughs) And then like a couple weeks beforehand, I found it was Kansas City, Missouri. Like, oh, that's a big difference. (laughs) Yeah, there's a river in between. Yeah, but we landed in Kansas City, Missouri. And I got to rest a day there and complete some schoolwork that I had. And then we took off and we landed in Louisville, Kentucky. I got to tour the American Printer House. And that is such an amazing experience. I've already told my family that we've got to go back so they can see it too. Cool. And then from Louisville? And then from Louisville, we were supposed to land in Washington, D.C. on the 13th of October. But again, due to weather, we had to land on the 12th because the 13th, it ended up raining where we were supposed to land all day. So were there big crowds there to meet you at each of these stops? There were a couple people in 
Missouri. And then we had a good group of people in Kentucky. There was people from the American Printer House and representatives from the Kentucky School for the Blind. And then the biggest crowd was in Washington, D.C. We had staff members and students from the Foundation for Blind Children there to witness the big landing, along with my parents. My little brother was able to come out to see me land as well. What a wonderful achievement. And then, having succeeded, you had to turn around and do it all backwards. (laughs) Yes, but this time I actually got to fly in the big jet planes. How did you get the little plane back? Tyler had a friend of his fly out, and they were going to fly it back together. So after this successful demonstration, do you think you'll continue flying in some regards? I would love to. I've heard it talked about that once you've flown, you catch the flying bug. And somebody asked me if I had finally caught it. (laughs) And I had to answer, honestly, I caught the flying bug my first time up in the plane. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's just such a wonderful experience up there. Is it even legal for you to get a pilot's license with such low vision? Legally, no. So I've told my mom that she needs to get her pilot's license so I can be her little co-pilot. Well, there's a solution to every problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to contact the Foundation for Blind Children and Leopard Aviation, who collaborated to make Kaya Armstrong's pilot training and cross-country flight experience possible. Well, Kaya, if people had questions about the Foundation for Blind Children and want to learn more about this adventure, where would you direct them? At cnrway.org. It is their website. They have their contact information and they have a blog about the entire journey on that website. Oh, great. That would really be fun to see, I would guess. Is there any kind of umbrella organization talking about learning to fly as a private pilot that you could direct people to if they just want to learn about flying? Learn about flying, leopard aviation. That's who I worked with for this entire flight. And of course, as usual, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. As a side note, I wanted to mention that we first found out about the Foundation for Blind Children from best-selling author Barbara Hinsky, who wrote the Guiding Emily series of books. The series is about a young woman who was suddenly blinded on her honeymoon and then has to learn to navigate through daily life, being blind, learning blind skills, dealing with a profession, etc., And she's written three books up to now, and we've interviewed her about all of those books in previous episodes. We will also have links to those episodes in the show notes if you want to find out about the Guiding Emily series. That was a real fun series of books. That's it for show number 2250. Next week on Eyes on Success, we thought it would be fun to enter the holiday season by reprising a show about tarot card reading. What does the future hold for Eyes on Success? 
Well, you'll find out next week when we talk with Eden Kaiser, a totally blind professional tarot card reader, about the magic of tarot cards, how she became a tarot card reader, and how she turned it into a profitable business that she does from the comfort of her own home. Thanks for joining us this week. And if you're interested in learning more about how to predict the future and how other people do that and actually make money at it, join us for next week's episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.